Uh, good morning, church. Good morning. This morning we come to the conclusion of a really great series. We've been in a series called Image, and it's so powerful, so relevant for us. We've just been walking through one chapter of the Bible, Psalm 139, but seeing what God has to say to us about our image and where does our image come from. And have you ever thought about this? That image impacts almost every decision we make, doesn't it? I mean, every morning we get up and go to the closet, we're looking at clothes, we're trying to figure out what we're going to wear, we're kind of thinking about our image or based on what we look like. And, 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 you know, the car we drive or the house we live in, marketers make billions of dollars every year, you know, selling products to us based on image, right? And so everything is coming into our minds and we have this dichotomy that we're trying to live. And do we listen to the things of this world and define ourselves that way? Or do we listen to the things of God and try to define ourselves that way? And there's this constant struggle, this tension that we have. And, and guys, for many of us, you know, we define ourselves by our job, by our career and how things are going there. And, and ladies more by looks and, you know, clothes and relationships there. And, and yet we have this big God who's calling us all the time and saying, hey, find your approval in me. Listen to what I say about you. Listen to who I created you to be. For I created you in my image. I created you in my image. And yet as a society, as a culture, man, we run after everything, trying to fill that slot in our lives, trying to find meaning and purpose. And I think Queen summed it up well when they sang that song, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. Right? That's kind of our society, our, our culture. Man, if I can have more stuff and more things, then somehow it'll fill this void in my life when God the whole time is going, no, 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 no. I created you in my image. And the only way that you're going to have peace, the only way that you're going to have purpose, the only way you're going to have fulfillment is when you understand it comes in me. And Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. But find your image and your worth and your value your identity in me. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you open back with me to Psalm 139. And it's such a great chapter. Uh, it's kind of in the middle of the Bible. If you open right there, you'll be there. Uh, but man, as we unpack the Word of God today, it is so good. Now, David wrote this. And David, who was this man after God's heart, he was the king of Israel. He was a, a leader of the people. He was highly successful. But what separated David was he constantly kept God first. He was constantly knowing that, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to bring glory to you. I don't want to get drift away from you and get caught up in the things of this world. I want my life to be anchored to you. And he wasn't perfect, right? He made some mistakes. But along the way, he was always drawing closer to God. And in Psalm 139, you, you see these three things that David emphasizes. He emphasizes that God is omniscient, you know, that, that God is all-knowing. He says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. God, you know everything about me. He emphasizes that God is omnipresent. Where can I go from your spirit, oh, God? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. My past, my present, my future, God, you are there. And he emphasizes that God is omnipotent, all-powerful. And God, you have ordained my days. You know every day for me. God, you are all-powerful. Why do I trust in things in this world? Why do I fall in love with those things? God, I want to trust in you. Now we've said this is a worship song. We've been through the first 18 verses and now look at verse 19 as we finish out the chapter today. David writes, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me 
in the way everlasting. <laughs> David, the first thing he does, he reminds us that we are in a battle. David says, you know, God, there's people that are after me. There's people that are trying to distract me from the things of you. God, there's people that are pulling me in a different direction. And David says, we're in a battle. And God, I'm putting a stake in the ground. I want to follow you. I want to be with you. I want to I be a man after your heart. I'm standing on your side. The fact of the matter is this, we're all in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. The Bible tells us that we have an enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. First Peter chapter 5, right? And you're thinking, well, what did I ever do to him? You know, why is he after me? What did, what did I do? But you realize that, that Satan hates God. But Satan can't get to God. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful, right? And so what does Satan do? He goes after God's kids. And Satan knows if he can move us away from our father, it'll break the heart of the father. Misery loves company, so Satan's kind of all the time, always moving us, always distracting us, always inviting us to fall for something that's alive, to fall for a temptation. And God the whole time is drawing us back to his heart, saying, no, 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 I love you, I love you, I love you. We're in a spiritual battle. And we know that. that that's why there's a struggle. There's a struggle when it comes to the decisions we make and the things that we do because we, we feel the tension. And, and David recognized, man, this is a battle worth fighting and for us, sometimes, man, we forget that and we just go along with the way of the world. But the way of the world leads to destruction. Jesus said, you know what? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to steal our joy. You have joy today? He wants to kill our worth and our value. He wants to destroy our lives. And yet there's a God who's saying, no, I created you for more. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And yet we fall for the things of the world, right? And this consumption mentality comes into our mind and more and more, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. And that leads to debt because <laughs> we buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even know, right? You know, people who know us, they're gonna love us. If we're driving a Toyota Corolla or if we're driving a Lamborghini, I mean, they're gonna love us, you know, but we, but we want more and more and more. Why? To impress people we don't even know. And so often the worry and the anxiety that builds up in our hearts and our lives, it, it's not from God. It comes from what other people think. And we worry about that. We obsess with that. And God's going, well, why? Why are you doing that? What's going on with you? In Psalm 49, this is so powerful, I think. It says in verse 16, do not be overawed when a man grows rich. I love that word, overawed. Like, wow, look at that. Check that out. Well, unbelievable. When the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. <laughs> it's like a little perspective there, right? It's, you know, we, we fall for that lie, right? That he who dies with the most toys wins. And God's going, well, you still die. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, you can't take anything with you. His splendor will not descend with him. Though when he lived, he counted himself blessed. And men praise you when you prosper. He will join the generation of his fathers who will never see the light of life. And then look at verse 20. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beast that perish. It says a man who has riches, it's okay to have riches. Yeah, but a man who has riches without understanding is like the beast that perish. See, we're all rich. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we've all been blessed. We've, we've got a car to drive. We've got education. We've got shelter over our heads. I mean, compared to the rest of the world, but he's saying, just have understanding. 
that this stuff is here today and gone tomorrow. What really lasts, what really lasts is your heart. What really lasts is what God's doing in you, and that you're living for him, that you're making a difference for his name and for his glory. Hey, be successful. God wired you. Get, run after your passion. Do great in life, but don't ever get caught up and make that your identity. Let your identity be in Christ and what God says about you. Uh, today's the last day for the Olympics. I love the Olympics. It's been fun. You know, it's the time of year where we watch things we never watch, you know, and swimming and diving. And I was watching diving about a week or so ago, and uh, these two American divers won the silver medal. But I love what this diver said. Watch, watch this, because this was powerful. What does it mean to come out and medal here in the synchro event? Yeah, I, I just think the past week, there's just been an enormous amount of pressure, and I've felt it. And, um, you know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this and thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we do have to know that our identity is in Christ. And we're just, we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil, in front of the United States. And uh, it's been an absolutely thrilling moment for us. Don't you love that? When you talk about a guy who's got a ton of pressure, everybody's watching, right? He says, if I'm worried about all of that, my mind will go crazy. But my identity is in Christ. And I think, how often do I get caught up in that? How often do we get caught up in that? Man, I'm worried about all of that. But my identity is in Christ. My identity is in Christ. If you're taking notes, you kind of see the second one. If you're going along and tracking with us. And right there, we're talking about this, that we're in this battle, but also that we must live for God and not for man. We must live for God and not for man. So we all have a decision to make. Who am I going to live for? What's going to matter most to me in my life? What's going to be the thing that I'm going to hang on to? David, who wrote this psalm, I mean, he was known as a man after God's heart, right? And you may remember when David was anointed king and, and his dad, Jesse, invited all of his older brothers in because he thought they fit the image of a king. He didn't even invite his son David in. And Samuel comes and says, well, these guys look like a king. And God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And David's anointed king, he becomes the king. And, and instead of just going along with the way that every other king, you know, and killed everybody in the previous line and, and do everything for yourself, David comes in and says, how can I bless others? How can I help others? How can I add value? How can I make a difference in the lives of others? And it was just amazing. And God blessed him and God blessed him and blessed him. One day, David was bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. And so David's bringing the ark into Jerusalem. And David, during that time, he's just so overwhelmed by what God is doing in his life. He's so overawed by God's grace and his mercy. And David just begins to worship. And David is praising God and just worshiping God with all of his heart. And his wife, Michael, is up in the palace and she's looking down. And that was an arranged marriage, right? It was Saul's daughter. And Saul thought David would be killed. He said, hey, go kill these Philistines and I'll give you my daughter. And David went and killed him and he gave him his daughter. And Michael's up there and she's looking down and she looks at David. And she's just like, oh, it's so embarrassing. I can't believe this. And David gets back from this kind of worship, powerful time of praising God and just saying, God, I can't believe you chose me. I can't believe what you've done in my life. And he comes in and Michael immediately, David, what are you thinking? That's not a way for a king to act. You got an image to keep up, man. Come on. What are you doing? And I love what David says, 2 Samuel. David says this. He says, Michael, I'll become even more undignified than this. 
I love that he just laid it down. He's like, listen, I've got to make a choice. And I'm choosing to worship. I'm choosing to follow God. And maybe everybody thinks, but I've got to do that. I'm going to be sold out for him all the days of my life. And God blessed and God honored. And God used him in an incredible way for his glory. I want you to hear from two just really special people to me, two of my good friends, and Bill and Catherine Button. And Bill and Catherine moved here last summer from Dallas, and then we had the chance to be in community group together. We had a great community group, and, uh, and now they're leading a group this year. But uh, I'm just so proud of them and thankful for them. And, and I'd love for you guys just to share a little bit of your story with us today, um, especially around this image. So talk to me about when did this struggle, because we're all facing the struggle, right? But for, but for you guys, when did that struggle with image first originate? Uh, I think for me it started when, uh, when I was in grade school and um, where I just wanted to be, I just wanted to be liked. And, um, and I think that stemmed from um, my parents were going through, a, in fact, they went through a really tough divorce, custody battles, the whole thing. And there's so much <clears throat> stress and anxiety at home that, um, that when I got to school and around, I just wanted them to like me. And, um, and I tell you, I just, I remember going to, um, folks going to, to custody battles and uh, going to talk to my dad's attorney and, uh, and I think I was five at the time, and he, he, um, he asked me, who do you want to live with, your mom or your dad? And uh, I just remember at that time, I just thought, whatever I choose, I lose, and mm. somebody's really going to get hurt in this. And so, I mean, I just emotionally, I just totally shut down. And, um, and so I just, yeah, I just wanted people to like me when I would go to school. So it's it really simple for me just to put on a smile, be real nice, and that was it, and be very compliant. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, and for me, um, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are still married. They were very involved in my life, very affirming. So it wasn't a family thing per se. Um, I got involved in the modeling industry when I was younger as a child and then up into my 20s. So I think I just learned really early on how to find my value in my appearance and what people thought of me. Bill, talk about, you know, you had that as a child, but then as you got older, you know, you still dealt with that. We all do, right? And as men, talk about how that struggle with image impacted you as a, you know, in your marriage and later on. Okay. So, um, as we all know, you know, you start going through school, um, things get more competitive. And, uh, and, you know, going through high school and into college, you know, was, um, you know, you just, it, very competitive, you know, with sports and whatnot. But... Um, I still, to me, it was, I just, just wanted people to like me. And, um, you know, and even in college, I became the college mascot, you know, so I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm winning here. And, um, and then I chose to go into sales. And, um, you know, sales can be up, sales can be down. And so my self-image and my self-confidence started riding on how much I sold and what uh, my friends thought about me, my peers, and what my bosses thought about me. And so, um, and then I was listening to one of the top sales guy talk and he just says you just got to fake it till you make it and, um, and I'm like hey there's my success principle I'm gonna lean on that and um, you know and I started buying nicer cars and started spending a lot more than than, than when I was making um, and still you know wanted to uh, just be a really just be a nice guy don't cause any waves and um, 
but deep down inside, I was looking for approval and affirmation from, you know, from uh, pretty much from everybody, and uh, and I was pretty isolated as well. So, mm. Catherine, what about for women as you grew up, you know, out of your twenties and modeling, and then kind of tell about how that impacted um, your life and in your marriage even. Okay. Well, I think I think you develop. I developed um, unhealthy ways of relating. Obviously, I'm trying to find my value in what others think of me or thought of me. And um, when I was in my early 20s, I got married and having a constant need to be affirmed. Mm. I think that was a real, obviously, the start of the, the demise of that marriage. But um, about 16 years ago, God really gripped my heart. And that was when I started to really look at myself. I needed to look at my heart issues pretty closely. Wow. Well, for you guys, how has it impacted just as your marriage has grown, you know, after you got married? How, what's the, in, been the impact there? So, uh, so when we got married, um, still had the idea of being the nice guy and uh, totally emotionally shut down. And... Um, and that's tough when you're married to an emotional woman. women <laughs> that could be tough. So, so uh, we get married. And so my, my thought of winning in marriage was just keep the peace because I came through so much with parents getting divorced and she's coming off a divorce. So let's just keep the peace. And, um, you know, for the first two years, it was, uh, it was fine because we, um, you know, both of us were working and we rented a small apartment and everything was fine. After a couple of years, we started having, we, we were going to have our first baby, our first kid. And um, she quit work and we were buying a house. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, my, uh, my uh, boss at the time, he changed commission structure. So all of a sudden, you know, the money wasn't coming in and we had the medical bills rolling in. And I just remember, uh, you know, laying all the medical bills around me and almost got physically sick just from the pressure and the weight of that. And, um, and that was probably at the time where I'm going, okay, I can't fake this anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I, I was not good at conflict. I had to learn how to, to handle conflict as an adult. And so keeping the peace around the house, you know, that was gonna be tough because we're gonna have to have some tough conversations about it financially, especially when we started looking at our, at our bills and we were over 80,000 in debt is what we figured out. Wow. So all of a sudden, yeah. Wow. It got tough. What about for you, Catherine? What was going on in your mind during that time? Well, um, God gave me a really hardworking, hardworking man. So um, when it got tough, I mean, he was head down. He was working a lot of hours and um, trying to put food on the table. And I was home, stay-at-home mom with two babies and diapers. And um, I think just, you know, someone who my whole life had felt like I needed a lot of attention. I wasn't getting a lot of attention necessarily from him at the time, which was tough for me. And then, um, you know, all my friends around me were just going on in life. And so they were remodeling their houses and shopping and going on these great vacations. And so uh, I, I knew that we couldn't financially uphold the image that we had tried to put forth. And so, um, you know, I think I put a lot of pressure on him at the time for that. And um, at the same time, um, there was a man at our gym that took notice of me. And so just 
starting to try to, you know, starting to fall back into old bad behavior patterns of finding your value in something else. And um, so fortunately, through the power of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and um, just the power of community, I was able to share that with community. And so we walked through that situation with several couples and it was um, a really healing time for us. Wow. So. Will you guys tell us what God's been doing in your marriage since? Because you guys have an incredible marriage, you have a great family and God's done awesome things. Tell us about that process. So, um, so I know for me and both of us, but definitely for me, I had to grow up. So um, one of the things that, that, uh, that, that God did, there's a, a few different things. So one of, the, one of the first one was I started, somebody gave me the idea of just reading Proverbs and I started going through one a day. And, um, and so when I, when the first time I read the proverb of uh, Proverb uh, 29, 25, with the fear of man would prove to be a snare, but, uh, but trust in the Lord for safety, basically that's what it says. And um, I had never even thought about that. And I started thinking that, okay, if what other people think is a trap, um, that's not good. And so that was one thing that, that really, that really hit me. And, um, the second thing is that at that time when, when we had, you know, all the bills laying around us and, you know, and, and, um, in that financial mess, I went to a friend of ours that was, um, in our church and just, and this is the first time we started asking for advice and, and reaching out. And uh, I said, Hey, look, we have this issue and we can get your advice on something. He's like, Bill, I don't care what you do. Just make sure you and Catherine are on the same page, but we want you to lead our financial ministry. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we're the last people. I said, because we are a wreck. And he goes, exactly. That's why we want you to do this. And um, he says, because people can relate. And so we started leading uh, Financial Peace University, our church at the time. And, um, and, and that not only through that, I mean, we're starting getting our finances back together, but it forced us to be able to uh, communicate on even the tough issues. And, uh, and this is where God really taught me, you know, and I'm still learning this, is about, um, you know, uh, have, you know, listen with understanding with Catherine. You know, instead of, hey, this is my way, it's like, hey, you need to have an understanding, you know, with, with her as well. So, um, so doing the, the financial ministry and leading through that, and then the last one, uh, went, we went through this, and I went through this uh, program called Celebrate Recovery, and, and and part of that is based on the on the twelve step model on, on AA, but part of it is you seek amends where you go back and like through your history, and, and if there's somebody you need to ask for forgiveness or you know really reconnect with, so I, I um, God laid it on my heart to find that attorney that I talked to us when I was five, and I found him, and you know, very tough, good conversation. And that is what really started my healing process emotionally where I can open up and really be, you know, tell Catherine what's going on and, and really be open with, with other people and not really care what they, what they thought. It's like, Hey, here's my deal. Mm. So that's awesome. What about you for you, Catherine? Well, for me, I had a, a girl, a friend at my church in Dallas that said to me one day, she said, you have a really clear understanding that Christ died for you on the cross and that your sins are forgiven. She said, what you struggle with is knowing who you are in Christ, like who, who he says you are and how he sees you and um, how much he loves you. And she was absolutely right when I started thinking about it. And so 
I just kind of set out on that journey of discovering who does he say that I am and who am I in him, so. What advice would you guys give us? Because we're all in the same battle, right? And uh, what advice, as you have been through this and this journey, uh, what advice would you give to us? Yeah, I would say that um, that, uh, that proverb is pretty amazing and pretty right on that. Um, you know, the fear of man really is a trap. Because it's, it's amazing how exhausting it is because anytime I'm worried about what somebody else is thinking about what I just said or you know, what I'm doing or anything like that, it's just when you worry about that, it's just extremely exhausting. So it's kind of, it's, it is freeing to have, um, you know, you just have basically the party of one that you want to make happy. You know, as long as you do what God asks you, you know, ask me to do if I do that. Uh, that's very freeing for me. And then the, uh, the other thing is, is that even if I would, you know, even, I'd be talking about community, doesn't matter if I was wearing this shirt or not, <laughs> it still would be talking about community because a lot of people say it's a really good idea. For us, it was vital. Mm-hmm. And so they really helped us through the, uh, the tough times. And, uh, and when I say that, I'm, like, I would still email the guys. If I'm struggling, if I want to fake it, or if I'm uh, really feeling a lot of pressure, I would email them just to, just to let them know. And I will tell you that through that, through having community and good communication with Catherine, we're able, able to pay off all that debt, mm-hmm. you know, and so, that has been, you know, has, has worked out, I mean, naturally has worked out really well, but that really forced us to really communicate. But I tell you, having the community piece of it, because when you're in the, when you're in the fire, you got to have somebody that's outside of it that can help you think clearly. And so that has been a game changer for us. I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I mean, for me, the, I can only speak for some women that may identify with this, but I think when I began to truly understand um, who I am in Christ and how he sees me and that I am fully forgiven and fully loved and um, that he thinks I'm beautiful (laughs) no matter what. And so I think when I really was able to grasp that, then I was able to start finding my value in him and him alone. And um, it's also quite freeing because when you're worried about your self-image, you're worried about yourself. You're Mm -hmm. focused on yourself. What about me? And so it it frees me up. I'm able to really focus on other people and discipleship and um, giving my life away. So um, God's God's the point, right? Not us. So, Guys, thank you. Thanks for sharing your story and just being so real um, with us. And, and also, I just want to affirm you because uh, you guys are great parents. And I've watched you, and um, I stood in the baptistry with you, Bill, as you baptized your boys. And uh, what an incredible privilege. And I've had a year to share life with you guys and watching you now lead a community group and seeing what God's done in your life and in your marriage. And I'm just thankful for you guys, and I'm proud of you. And I love serving the Lord with you. So thank you. That's awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. You're awesome, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, that was so great. Listen, finding your identity, finding your identity in God, here's where it begins. Here's where it begins. This is the last one. It begins with us being honest. It begins with us being honest. Look what David writes here. You know, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever prayed just, God, here I am. <laughs> Search me. 
Search me. Know, know what I do, God, but God also know why I do it. <laughs> Search me. I'm going to lay it out there. I'm going to be honest. Test me, O oh God, and know my anxious thoughts. What makes you anxious? You know, many times when we're anxious, it's because we're worried about what other people think or we're worried about how something's going to come together. Or we're trying to control it and the anxiety builds up in us, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so it's like, test me and know my anxious thoughts. What's, what's making me anxious? And then David prays this. He says, see if there's any offensive ways. See if there's anything that's not of you, God, in me. And let me fight that, God, and lead me in your way everlasting. God, lead me. God, I want to be a man or a woman after your heart. God, I want to live every day for your name and for your glory. God, don't let me get caught up in this trap. God, and just go down the wrong path and drift away. God, let me live my life for you. God, lead me. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Pray that prayer. Every day, pray that prayer. God, here I am. Open book. Search me. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts, God. And see if there's any offensive way in me. And God, lead me. Lead me, lead me in your way everlasting. You know what? I hope and pray that you take away from Psalm 139 is this. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God created you and he created you just perfect. He created you for his name and for a relationship with him. And life makes sense when you and I begin to find our identity in Christ and what God has done for us. Find the grace and the mercy that God longs for us to receive. It impacts everything, right? It impacts not only how we see ourselves, it impacts our marriage, it impacts our families, it impacts our kids or our nieces or our nephews, it impacts our extended family. Because there's little eyes that are watching us all the time. And there's little eyes that are picking up on what we value. And do we value GPA? Do we value, you know, what college you're going to? Do we value what your test scores are? Do we value that more than... No, we value you having a heartbeat for God. And those things are important and we want you to do well. We want you to reach your full potential. But we want you, just like we are striving to do, to find our worth and our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he brought his disciples together. And, and he said, guys, I love you. <laughs> and I'm going to show you how much I love you. And he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. In fact, I love you so much that I'm going to lay down my life down for you. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, guys, this is the new covenant. He before, you were always about performance, how you were going to do. It was works-based theology, right? If I can do enough, maybe God will approve of me. But, but guys, listen, there is a new covenant, and it's a covenant of grace. And it's not about what you do. It's about what I've done. And I'm pouring it out for you. So when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you, you proclaim my death until I come. So you don't have to find your approval in what other people think. The cross shows us that God approves of you. The cross shows us that God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son. The cross shows us that God is proud of you and that God will always be with you. And God is right here. 
He is right here, right now. And he is inviting you to experience his love and his grace. And maybe for the first time, or maybe for today, just to say, God, I, I've gotten caught up and I'm drifting away, and today I'm coming back. I'm putting a stake in the ground. God, I love you. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to his table. To take a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you, to dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and to receive the gift that only God can give. This is his invitation. This isn't mine or Rolling Hills. This is an invitation from God himself. If you're a follower of Christ, you're invited to come. And when you come to the table today, there's a mirror. And when you're taking communion or you're standing in line, look in that mirror and just think, what do I see? And what does God see? So often we see our failures, we see our mistakes. But God sees you and he loves you. And he says, you're beautiful and you are mine and I'm proud of you. And I gave my son for you. There's a gluten-free table over here. There's two tables in the back. But I'm gonna invite you to come. So Father, here we are. You're disciples today. And Father, we admit, God, we struggle. God, image wars at us all, just like it did David, just like it does us. And so today, Father, we come and to say we want our worth and our value, our identity to be in Christ and in Christ alone. God, forgive us when we wear the anxiety and the worry of what others think or what this world tells us we should be. Today, we want to hear from you. <laughs> we want to find our worth, our value, our identity in you. So search us, O oh God, and know our heart. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Oh, Father, see if there's any offensive way in us. And God, lead us in the way everlasting. God, lead us. Because you love us. And we are yours. And it's in the beautiful, precious, holy name of Jesus that we come to your table right now. Amen. You're invited to come.